Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. So welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough, President and CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors. Today's guest is one of the most profound keynote speakers on strategic communications and leadership. In fact, when I met this speaker for the first time, I was at an EO event and he was giving a, a keynote about being the leader. And he went through this description while bench pressing. <laughs> anyway, I'll leave it at that uh, for you on YouTube to find uh, his presentation, but I still have not been to the gym since. Uh, <laughs> He has delivered over a thousand keynotes in 33 countries. He's a member of the National Speakers Association and currently holds or has broken seven world records. He's the author of two books, Speaker, Leader, Champion, and Motivating Millennials. Please welcome the keynote speaker, Ryan Avery. Thank you. That's a good intro. I'll have you at parties with me. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. Well, Ryan, uh, you know, our podcast is about leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guests is, can you tell me about some misconceptions in leadership? How many do you want? <laughs> there's Start a lot. With three. <laughs> Start with three. Okay. Uh, one of the biggest ones is um, knowing what your definition of leadership is. It's really important to know the definition of it. And so my definition of leadership is anyone who influences someone. Mm. A lot of people believe they have to wait to get into leadership or they have to wait to have a certain title or position, but every single one of us has the opportunity to lead. And in fact, I challenge everyone to believe that we do, whether we influence our children or another friend to do something or a peer, we're all leaders. And sometimes we we have this misconception that we we believe we have to have a million followers before we can really be the leader. Um, and that's that's completely false. So the first misconception is believing that you're not a leader because you don't have a title or a position or enough followers. If you are influencing someone, you are in leadership. So that would be one of my first misconceptions about leadership. Um, Another really important one that I would say is how we lead. So defining who a leader is, and then also um, how it works. And so there's two types of leadership styles out there right now. And one is still prevalent, which we want to really get rid of. I mean, it's a very old school way of leadership um, and it's command and control. Okay, so commanding and controlling was a very big way of leading. Well, people don't like to be commanded and they don't like to be controlled uh, unless you're you know in the military, which works uh, and that can that can work for some people. But what a lot of people like right now is they like leaders who can direct and drive. Mm. And so what we do as leaders is our job is to direct people into the direction in which we want to go and make sure that the machine is driving in that direction. Do we have to be the drivers? No, we have to make sure that it is driving towards that direction. And so how we lead is very important because if we're commanding and controlling the situation, we're not going to motivate people in the right way. 
But if we're directing and driving people in a certain direction and in a certain way, people are going to be more excited to follow us because of that energy. And that in lies, that lies my third. And I talk a lot about this in my keynotes. Uh, it's really the difference between a leader and the leader being a versus the, and one of the differences between being a leader and the leader in this new world is a leader manages people, the leader motivates people. And so it's this mindset, it's this misconception of believing that as the leader, I have to manage these people. Nobody wants to be managed anymore. <laughs> you want to be managed? You don't go to work being like, I can't wait to be managed today. No, you go to work or you go, you're part of a family, you're part of a team or, uh, you know, any type of group that you're a part of, you want to feel motivated. So our job as leaders is to know what motivates people and knowing what the definition of motivation is, knowing how to motivate, knowing and understanding, very big misconception is believing that what motivated someone yesterday will motivate them again today. Wrong, right? I am motivated differently in a variety of different settings. And there are multiple things that have happened in my life on a daily basis that change my motivation. So believing that the same thing is going to motivate you is, a, is an important thing to understand within, within leadership. I love those three. So I'm going to take them in reverse order, um, especially since you just brought up motivation and how from a day to day, week to week, month to month, whoever you're leading or you're in front of or you're influencing their motivations to be led will change depending on their circumstances. As mm -hmm. a leader, how can we best read those situations to understand what Ryan's motivation is today versus yesterday? The best way to read is to ask. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but so many people believe that they have to have the answer instead of asking for the answer. Um, my job as being the leader is not to have it. It's to find it. I don't have the answers. I find the answers. That's my job. And so if I am noticing someone on my team not performing or not being excited or not being motivated, I'm going to re-engage with them and saying, hey, What's going to motivate you to make this happen? What's going to motivate you? What's motivating you right now? And I'm going to ask them. And if they don't know, we're going to work together to find out what would move them to take action um, and to let them understand that it's okay to not feel motivated all the time. Uh, you know, I feel like there's this toxic positivity aspect in the motivational world where you're like, hey, everything's great. And you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> there are some things that suck. <laughs> so understanding that, um, Allowing yourself to not feel motivated is an okay feeling. Um, sometimes we feel guilty. I'll say myself, I won't speak for any other person, but I can feel guilt sometimes when I know what I need to do, but I'm not motivated to do it. And what happens for me is I, I because you set something down doesn't mean you can't pick it back up again. And I think we forget that is it's okay to set something down to breathe. Like we wouldn't like, you know, you, you brought up the gym. Like if we were, if our muscles were tearing while we were halfway lifting up weight, we would be like, no, we're going to keep doing it. You'd be like, set that weight down. What are you doing? Like you are hurting yourself. So not feeling motivated is an okay feeling. Like that's okay. Maybe that's you know, dig exception number four. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to dig into that because I, suffer from that as well on certain days. I just, the, the motivation changes or you, you have that guilty feeling around a deliverable or a conversation you need to have. 
Yeah. So how how have you handled that? How do you how do you recognize that you know what? This I don't need to be this motivated right now for this thing. I'm going to put it down and come back to it at a sec- at another point in time. Do you have a system or a process that helps you like not lose control over all the things that we kind of push to the back burner at times? Well, some of the things that I do is I really break down the social beliefs that some of us have, like especially in EO or like in those of us who are CEOs or those of us who are A type personalities. And we hear these things like, if you rest, you'll rust, you know, like never quit. And you're like, what? No, those are really good things to do. Like quitting often and knowing when to stop and knowing when to rest. Um, I feel like what I'm going into these like misconceptions, but it's making me think about this concept of um, relaxing. And a lot of people believe relaxing is like putting your phone down, doing some yoga, like not having anyone in your life, taking a three-day no speaking retreat. Like that might work for some people, but because you're relaxing, like relaxing for you might be going and doing a workout. You know, relaxing for you might be doing uh, going to a party where there's no work friends, <laughs> you know, like relaxing doesn't necessarily mean um, stopping. It might be stopping doing what you've been doing that's making you stressed out. So I I would say like what one of the things that I do is really challenge those things. Like when you rest, you rest. No, that's not true. When you rest, you get re-energized. <laughs> Um, we're not computers. Um, we're supposed to take breaks. We're supposed to recharge. Um, and sometimes what we do is we recharge with the wrong thing, right? So we think that we're resting, but really we're working and we're numbing out and we're not necessarily taking a pause to recharge, to get that energy back that, that we need. Um, so yeah, I, I look at that a lot. I know when I am, when I start using my, when my logical, when my logical brain starts to sink in and I start saying words like I need to do this or I should, I, I go, okay, Ryan, um, I coach myself like I would some of my clients and I go, okay. I also have coaches myself and I talk to them. Um, there's a lot of things that I, I do to make sure that I am not living by the fear of, and you know, I was talking about this last night with my wife. Um, there's a fear which isn't true. There's a fear that if I stop, I will lose momentum. So it will take me longer to get back to where I am. That's not true. Um, There can be an autopilot function, right? Where you can still be in the air flying, but you can press an autopilot button and relax a little bit and then get back into the same position that you're in and maybe even better because now you're more focused. Certainly. You know, when you when you were talking through that, it, it reminded me, you know, over the last 10 years, my wife and I have been doing Ironman competitions and within our schedule on a weekly basis, we've got recovery days. Yeah. But to your point, we're not recovering. It's not sit on the couch and play with remote control days. Yeah. It's you're not on your bike and you're not in the pool and you're not in the run and under, doing a run, but you're most likely thinking about and organizing your week for the following week. You're doing your meal prep, you're doing your nutrition planning, you're doing sorting out the kids, making sure that they're covered. So it's, it's a recovery day in the sense that I'm not utilizing the same muscles, but it's also a work day in the fact that there's a lot of things that still need to get done 
in order to make the work pr productive, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it made me also think about the second misconception you were talking about between command and control and direct and drive. And the word that came right into my head was empowerment. And I'd love for you to reflect on that direct and drive as it relates to, you know, young employees and how we can use that as a skill to help empower and motivate them. Well, you got to understand. So I love words. I love understanding what words mean. So break down the word motivation, motive. It stems from the Latin prefix mot, which means to move. Okay. Asian is the suffix in Latin, which means to take action. So by definition, the word means moving someone to action. It does not mean getting someone to pay attention. Okay. That's what managers do. Managers are very good at pay attention to me. <laughs> Motivators are very good at understanding. All right. What's going to get these people to move? What's going to get this person to move? Um, so first you have to understand that you have to empower yourself before you're going to empower anyone else. And how you do that is empower yourself to realize you've got to stop having this managerial mindset and you have to start having this motivational mindset. And so what that's going to look like for you, I am not asking you to be this fake motivator who comes in on Monday and be like, Hey, everybody, Mondays are great, right? You're like, you suck. I hate you. Like, you don't want to be that guy or woman. You want to be the person who's going to come in and be like, Hey, here's what we want to do this week. Here's where I want to go. I want us to go here. What's going to get us to do that? And you get people involved and you ask questions and we all agree. And we say, okay, cool. We agree that we want to go here. Great. You're doing this. I'm doing that. We're doing this. We're making sure that we're communicating and we're getting to the spot that we all agree that we're trying to get to. Um, you don't have to, <laughs> it's not your responsibility to do it by yourself. It's our responsibility as leaders to get everyone to, to play the role in which they need. I have some employees, I have some team members who might work five hours a week and I have others who might work 50. Um, well, that's where we're trying to get to. And so it's not about fair or anything like that. It's we agree that this person's going to do this and this person's going to do this and I'm going to do this to get to where we want to go. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, you had me... There's another topic in leadership that I'm starting to dabble into that I'm really enjoying uh, the thinking. And so I'm just going to fire out this other question. It's, it's somewhat related. Um, I believe that as a leader, we're also responsible for building leaders. And I would love to hear your reaction to that as, as you just talked about motivating and, you know, bringing a group together and collectively saying, okay, here's where I want us to, here's where we're going to go. Who's going to do what let's get all motivated together. To me, that's a function of building leaders right? we're, we're showing and helping others sort of be part of the team and grow with the team. Any reactions or thoughts to that as a, as a role or responsibility of a, of a, of a leader? I disagree. Uh, okay, good. I don't, I don't believe my job as someone who influences someone is to make other leaders. Now, can that be an outcome? Yeah, absolutely. Can I, what I do maybe inspire or motivate other people to say, hey, I want to start my own business or do my own thing? Absolutely. That's super cool. I love that. But that's not my responsibility. That's not my job. My job is to direct and drive. My job is to say, here's where we're going. 
I want us to do this. What's the best way of doing it? Understand that my way might not be the best way. So I've got to hear from other people, but my job as leader is to influence, to get to somewhere else or to do something else. Um, now you're, that's where it's important to define leadership, right? So you and I might have very different definitions of leadership. Neither one of us is right or wrong. It's our definition. And therefore now we have followers to base off of that, right? Certainly. Yeah. So I would disagree with that. Fair enough. Um, you know, Ryan, thinking about the, the keynotes you've been doing over the years, your conversations around leadership, um, as you think across sort of your influence over these many years, um, has the message changed since like the beginning when you've been talking about leadership and um, bringing teams together or you get that phone call from a client who wants support, you have to go talk to their sales team about, has the messaging changed over, I'd say the past five, 10 years? Yes. Meaning like have my messages changed? Like have my strategies changed? Or, or? or more of like what a client is looking to, to hear. From, like, talk to us about how leadership has changed over the last 10 years from a perspective of somebody who speaks on it. Yeah. So one of the biggest like, so when I do calls, when someone is interested in me keynote speaking, right, we'll have the setup calls. And one of the big ones that we get is um, communication has changed for our for our company? How do we get back to communicating more efficiently or effectively? Like that's a big one, right? Because I teach a lot of uh, effective and efficient communication strategies. Well, the very first thing I say is communication has never changed. Communication will never change. Communication by definition, when you break it down again, com, uni, Asian, com meaning with, uni meaning one, Asian meaning to take action, it's the transfer of one piece of information. What has changed are the methods of communication. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, you know, 30 years ago, there were a couple of ways to communicate in person, over the phone and fax. Well, now we have a billion ways to communicate, right? We've got Slack and then Facebook me that Instagram post where you then email me and text me. And you've got all these different forms of communication built into the system, thinking that it'll make people more efficient and effective. But in all reality, what you've done is you've made a harder game of telephone and you made it way more complicated for people to, to understand and digest the information that you are communicating to them. Um, so the biggest thing that I've seen is teaching companies how to communicate effectively while believing they think that it's being more efficient or effective, but really they've created um, a headache. Um, the other thing that we've been discussing a lot too, and this might be because of, I don't know how many international uh, followers you have, but um, American politics has changed the game for a variety of reasons. And I mean, this is a, this is a good example for, for us, even in this conversation. We have lost the ability to gracefully disagree. Okay, so it's either I'm right and you're wrong. You suck. I'm great. It's this concept of you and I, right? Like we disagreed on something. You agree. You believe leadership is this. I do not believe leadership is this. Okay. <laughs> right. It's not like, oh, I'm getting off this podcast. This sucks. Boom. Like in, in the thumb. <laughs> right? but, but with a lot of things, that's what we do now. And so in the workplace, especially, we've forgotten the ability that people are different and that we have different ideas and beliefs. And that's actually what makes work 
and life so enjoyable are the differences. And so what I would, um, what I focus on a lot too, is I, I consult with a lot of companies of how to embrace those differences, but more importantly, how to communicate them in a respectful way, how to disagree and not be angry with that person that creates me not wanting to work with them. So, and then I'm not as productive to then slow down the direction and the drive, which we want to go. So yeah, there's a lot of things that, that COVID, I mean, COVID hybrid meetings. <laughs> I talk to a lot of companies about how do I motivate my people when they're not there? <laughs> you know, like how do I do these things? So yeah, um, a lot of content has changed in that regard. Certainly. So let's take that one step further on the disagree, the, the ability to disagree in a co- conversation and communication at the workplace. Yeah. Um, let's assume that there's an audience member who's in a, an environment that they can't disagree or it's, you know, you get that uncomfortable, it's almost that combative, you know, response when you want to share an opinion or it's, it's a indifferent to somebody else. Like, what do you, how do you help that person or that group kind of get to the next level of being able to have a disagreement that's not combative? That's more of a cultural, um, conversation, right? If you have a company that has a culture where people feel like they can't speak up, that's a whole nother ballgame. That's a whole nother like uh, discussion. Um, So I I would first identify that as uh, looking at, so if, if leaders who are listening to this, asking ourselves, can people speak up in my company? Okay. Do they feel safe to speak up in my company, okay? Do they feel like there will be negative consequences if they speak up or positive consequences when they speak up? So first checking in with ourselves to make sure that we've created that environment and that culture to allow that to happen. If it doesn't, well, that's when you need to have that conversation. You need to have those trainings. You need to have that uh, discussion about here's what we wanna do moving forward. And that's when you wanna communicate, hey, I understand this is how it happened in the past. Here's how I want it to happen in the future. And then what I recommend with clients that I work with is set up a few opportunities for people um, that you plant for them to speak up and for people to then see how they speak up and they don't get reprimanded or they don't get fired or they don't get whatever. And so then they, those other people who aren't feeling like they can, they see it now and they go, oh, it is safe to make that, uh, that happen. And then to know that you know people will speak up and it will it will take you in the wrong direction. And it's our job as the leader to say, hey, love that idea. It's not going to be what we're going to do now because we're headed here. Uh, let's table that or let's think that to the side. Once we get there, let's revisit that direction. You know, that's our job, again, to keep people in the direction of where we want to go. Now, are there sometimes that we as leaders are so focused on the direction, we forget that there could be an easier way to get there? Yes, <laughs> uh, we do that a lot too, right? Um, so making sure that we're listening and we're paying attention and like our GPS, you can be stubborn and say, no, this is the way you go. GPS is like, hey, you could save 15 minutes if you go this way. And you're like, no, this is the way we do it. Well, then that's commanding and controlling again. And you want to direct and drive and be open to opportunities where people might show you a faster or better or more efficient and effective way. You know, Ryan, those questions you're asking about, you know, feeling safe to speak up, um, what also came to mind is that's very similar to in family, right? Do your children 
and this really just makes my skin crawl, <laughs> have the safe space for them to say, hey, you know what, dad, I disagree. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it makes me think about what mechanisms and avenues do we provide to our family and our children to have that open, safe environment? Yep. Same with our, same with our, so my wife and I, we do um, couples retreats, right? And this comes up a lot too with um, feeling like you're afraid to say something to your partner because they, you know, they might judge you or they might think differently of you, or you might want to try something or do something. And you go, Oh, I can't even tell my partner this. Right. So one of the things that we do, um, and this can translate into the professional world as well. So one of the things my wife and I do is when we want to share something that might seem tricky or different, or we want to change something up, um, let's say, you know, I want to move, (laughs) you know, that might be like a bomb, like, whoa, you know, what we say is, hey, can I explore something with you? Mm -hmm. And explore does not mean committing. It means I'd like to bring something up to explore, to see if this is something that we want to do or that we want to take. There's no commitment involved. Um, And so that can be something that you can use uh, language-wise in the professional world of, hey, let's have an exploratory meeting. Um, Let's explore different options and different things. There's no commitment here. We're simply going to bring up ideas and thoughts and and things that we want to share in a safe environment with no commitment. And then once we have that meeting, then we can then discuss if there are any commitments we want to make after that, because we both agree that, oh, okay, we do like that option. We do want to move. Okay, cool. I'm glad I brought it up then. Um, So yeah, exploring versus committing. That's awesome. That's very powerful. My wife will be so surprised tonight when I <laughs> have a list of things to explore. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, Ryan, uh, talk to us about your story. I mean, how did you get into the keynotes? How did you get into leadership? How did you, you know, you've got two books out now. I'd love to hear sort of from crib to now of, of the Ryan Avery story. Well, I, when I was born, I weighed 12 pounds. No, I'm kidding. Well, we won't start that. I did weigh 12 pounds when I was born. But um, uh, for me, how it started is uh, back in 2012, I won. It's called the World Championship of Public Speaking. Um, so 30,000 people, 116 countries compete for this. It's through an organization called Toastmasters. Um, and it's about eight months of competition. So it was like 30,000 people, you know, 15 and all the way down to the World Championship. And I won the World Championship. And then the next day I woke up to 269 emails asking me to speak. And I was like, what? Uh, And I didn't know business back then. I used to work for Special Olympics. I was the director of marketing and communications for a nonprofit up in uh, Pacific Northwest. And I loved it. Thought I was going to do that my whole life. And uh, I'd work like 60 hours a week. I'd fly out Friday, go speak on Saturday, come home Sunday, super burnt out. And um, along this journey... People and I was meeting other speakers at conferences, right? And they were telling me that they were getting paid. And I was like, what? They just offered me free travel. <laughs> and I was like, are you? you're not getting paid. There's no way. And I realized that there's the business side of speaking. And um, I really felt intrigued by that. And so my wife's unemployed at the time. Uh, I, I asked her, hey, I think I can do this, but I, I need to quit my job. Uh, can I quit my job? And we would have to move back in with my parents, which they live in Texas. So we had to move in and we sold everything that we had. Um, We moved back to Texas with my parents. It was a very fun feeling moving your wife back in with your parents. (laughs) Uh, And about six months later, we had a full calendar. Now, um, within that calendar, I would say it took me about three or four years. I've been doing this for a decade now. It took me about three or four years 
to realize people don't pay me to speak. You know, um, there's an ego side of public speaking where you go, whoa, they're going to hire me to speak. Nobody hires Ryan Avery to keynote. They hire me to make their event the best event of the year. They hire me for their strategies that their people can use to make their business better. So what I learned is it's not about me. It's about strategies and it's about opportunities to figure out the business side of how can I make this event better than last year's event and get them excited about coming to next year's, right? Um, so I spent a lot of time doing that, but I realized for me, uh, you know, I look like I'm 12 years old. Um, so how am I going to teach leadership when I look like I'm a teenager? Um, I realized that for me, in order to teach people, I also had to be the leader. I had to do leadership. I had to do and be in leadership. So for me, how I did that was through my world records. Um, so I wanted to see if the strategies I was learning and coming up with actually worked. And so I applied those to breaking world records and they worked. And, and sometimes they didn't. <laughs> and sometimes they were epic failures. But I realized that as long as I was doing leadership and I was being in leadership, then I could teach leadership. Um, and I did that through my world records. And that's how I continue to do it. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I got started. And if I read correctly, you've broken seven so far. Attempted a lot more, but yes, I have broken. Seven. <laughs> I have attempted a lot more, but broken seven. Yes. What? Tell us about that epic fail that you mentioned. Oh man, I got so many of them, um, and you know they're they're not even through world records now. Um, they're like through Ironman competitions that I do, or they're through little things that I do that um, I, I apply the A to the principles to everything in life to see how they work or how they don't work. Man, I have so many of them. Like the, one of the last ones. Um, you know, I had one client invest tens and tens of thousands of dollars into this event. Um, my name's on it, their name's on it. It's very public. It was in Australia and, um, we needed 958 people for this world record. Cause we're building, uh, an image out of people. And, uh, we had 920 people show up. Uh, so we were off by 30 people and I had to, in front of 900 people say, we didn't break the world record. Thanks for coming out. And, you know, this is after I was like, we're going to do this and encourage everybody. And it's like this really deflating feeling to see 900 people be like, yeah, and then dissipate with, you know, your name and your co this company's name, who is one of my biggest clients who invested in it and was like, yeah, we'll invest in you. You've already done seven. Why not? Yeah, we'll do the eighth one, you know, and then to tell the board, this is what didn't happen. And, um, yeah, communicate all those things to them. Um, very painful, <laughs> very painful. But um, also really cool though. We raised over a hundred thousand um, dollars for this organization, and we did some really cool things. And um, yeah, there's some really cool things that came from it too. Fantastic. Talk to us about the ones you're working on now. Uh, I've got a couple of them. Um, so we're gonna do one. So. Um, we broke this world record for the largest donation of socks in eight hours. And we collected over 36,000 pairs of socks because um, there are two things that homeless people ask for the most, or those, I should say homeless people, those who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and they request clean socks and clean underwear. That's like the number one thing. And it's like, 
the simplest thing, right? And so we did this for socks. Um, and it went so well that uh, we distributed socks uh, to every organization in Colorado to put socks on everyone uh, during the winter time. And then we realized, well, we should do that with underwear too. If they're asking for it, we should we should do that as well. So that's one of the next ones that we're doing is um, collecting the most amount of underwear for um, people who are experiencing homelessness right now. And um, yeah, I've got some other ones that are lined up that I can't talk about yet uh, <laughs> because I got an NDA going on right now that I'm very excited about. But um, yeah, some ones that, so I never break a world record for fun. They're, uh, well, I have a lot of fun doing them, but I mean, um, they're always for a good cause. So I, I break world records around big issues affecting local communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got some that are in the works right now that are going to be pretty epic. Um, they're going to take months and months and months of training. You know, some of them that are, some of them are so physical, right? Um, like one of the last ones I did was we did, we broke the world record for the longest cycling class, um, Megan Hopman and I for 28 hours and we cycled for 28 hours straight. That's a crazy one, right? Like you bike for 12 hours and then you're like, let's go 16 more hours. Like it's a hard mental thing to, to get over and do. So they take a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of, uh, a lot of training. So I love them. <laughs> Some people think I'm wild, but uh, I love them. <laughs> you need to have your thing for sure. Yeah. Um, so talk to us. There's an audience member, a group of audience members who are interested in either your training as a coach or keynotes. Like talk to us about who's the right audience for not your world record breaking side of what you're doing, but your, your keynotes and training and learn leadership. My clients are those who identify there is some type of communication issue. Okay. So there's miscommunication or I want to be better at communicating or I want to do something more efficient or effective, or I want to be the leader. That's who it is. It's somebody who doesn't want to be a, it's somebody who wants to be the, that's why I teach. Don't be a leader, be the leader. You know, don't be a dad, be the dad. Don't be a mom, be the mom, be the at what we do. So it's those leaders who feel like they want to be the, that's who I I work with. They want to have the event. Um, They want to do the training. Um, They want, yeah, the is who I work with. Fantastic. And then taking that one step further, how can people get in touch with you? What's your social media platform of choice or? I don't have social media. uh, So I don't, I don't do any social media. Um, The best way to do that is ryanavery.com. And, you know, I, some people, they, my phone number is on there. My email's on there. It's me and my assistant. Uh, I have my business manager and I have a couple agents. Um, But when you email me, email me. So sometimes, you know, some people will call and they'll leave a message and they'll go, hi, I'd like to know Ryan Avery's availability. And then I'll call them back and I'm like, hi, it's Ryan. And they're like, like Ryan Avery. And I'm like, what? Yes, you called. What are you talking about? Like, I'm not, I'm not some impossible person. Like, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, all my, my phone number and email is ryanavery.com. Fantastic. And we'll include those in our show notes, along with links to your books and some other of your keynotes on YouTube. And I'll, I'll dig for the one that talks about you doing the bench press in the gym and let the uh, audience fill, fill in that visualization because I, I just kind of want to do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect. Well, awesome, Ryan. It's been great having you on the show. I appreciate all your insights and and 
uh, your ability to disagree with the statement and thought that I have uh, around leadership. I thought you handled that really, really well. And again, an, an example of how to do that professionally. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you, the thoughtful questions and I appreciate the great discussion. Awesome. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.